Would you please turn with me to your study outlines, and as you're turning, let me uh, welcome those of you that are watching online, and also those of our friends in Arco, Idaho, and also the hangar in Montana. We are so glad that you are joining us for our study here this morning. And today we're going to do a little short series on marriage, and I want you to know that as, as your pastor, I hesitate sometimes to speak on this, because about half of our church family is single. And many are called to being single. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. God says that for many people, this will be the best way for God to bless you and to use you. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and Jesus was a single adult. And so for many, this may not seem to apply, particularly this morning where I'm talking about uh, finding the right person and what person is God calling you to. But I think you'll agree with me that we need to talk about this on occasion because would you agree with me that marriages are under assault in America today? Uh, Satan hates marriage. He fights against it. Kimberly and I always have a saying that in ministry as pastors, if Satan can't get you, he'll go after your marriage. And if he can't get your marriage, he'll go after your kids. And the same thing is true for all followers of Christ. He'll go after you, but if he can't get you, he'll go after your marriage. And if he can't get your marriage, he'll go after your children. And so this is under such assault in our society and culture today that it is very important that we talk about it and be an encouragement to those to make the right choice in marriage that are single, that are called to be married, and then also to encourage those that are married. And so there, even if this doesn't seem to apply to you, this is true on any given Sunday. You look at the topic and you say, ah, I don't know if that connects with me. God's word never returns void. He's promised that. He says his word never returns void. And so always look, I found this in my life when I sit down and it doesn't seem to apply to me. I'll say, God, show me something here. And he always comes through with that prayer and always shows you something sometimes entirely different than what the direction of the message might be. So what Kimberly and I are going to do, Kimberly's going to come up in a couple of minutes here, and, and the two of us are going to teach on how to start strong in marriage this morning, and then tonight at Claremont at the Hub, at 5 o'clock service, we're going to talk about how to finish strong. And right at the conclusion of the service, we're going to have a time for baptisms. The service is going to end, and then right after that, for those that want to stay, maybe God has been calling you to be baptized and laying that on your heart. And, and lo and behold, today's the day. You're here. And you're like, wow, I've been meaning to do that. We'll just show up tonight with a change of clothes, and we will baptize you after the service. And then uh, right after that, at 6 o'clock or so, we will have a free Thanksgiving dinner uh, Sunday night. And so Tonight at 5 o'clock, the service, Kimberly and I will continue how to finish strong in marriage. Um, uh, just real quick baptisms after that. And then right after that, we're going to have a free Thanksgiving dinner. I always think it's important to stretch your stomach out for a number of days before you get to Thursday. And so consider this a warm-up, a preparation for the main event, which is going to be, um, which is going to be on Thursday. Now, uh, guys, you're going to be so glad you came here today because uh, I want to begin with a top 10 list of Christian pickup lines, okay? Top 10 Christian pickup lines. Here they come. Number 10 on the list, my name is Will, God's will, okay? Number six, hey, baby, is your wing broken because you look like an angel that fell from heaven? Okay, number nine, is your wing broken because you look like an angel that fell from heaven? Number eight on the list, hey, girl, I didn't believe in predestination until I met you. Number seven on the list, 
Proverbs says that whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Please feel free to be honest with me. There's one. Uh, Number six on the list. Hey, girl, I heard that Jesus called you. Do you mind if I do the same? Okay, that's that's really bad. Okay. (laughs) Number five on the list. I was reading my Bible and I was in numbers and then I realized I don't have yours. (laughs) (laughs) Number four on the list. Now I know why Solomon had a thousand wives because he never met you, baby. All right, all right. Number three on the list. How many times do I have to walk around you before you fall for me? Jericho walking around the walls. It's, it's, It's a Bible study one. Okay, anyway. Number two on the list, I'm usually not very prophetic, but I can see us together. Okay, number one on the list, you really are a fisher of men, and baby, you just reeled me in. So there you go, guys. Aren't you came this morning? Top 10 pickup lines. All right. Now, here are two things that are important. First of all, make sure you marry the right person And just as important, if not more important, make sure you become the right person. Seven questions to ask to somebody that um, you are dating. Maybe God won't use this in your life, but maybe he'll use this to share with somebody else in your life. Maybe that's the thing that God wants you to take from this. Number one, am I physically attracted to this person? Now, that may seem very unspiritual, but it's very important and it's very biblical, uh, today we talk a lot about marry your best friend. And Kimberly and I believe that we did that. We married our best friend. But you know what? It's not just enough to be each other's best friend. There's got to be an attraction there, a physical attraction as, as well. There was a girl I was dating uh, for quite a time. And textbook Christian girl. I'm telling you, on paper, this was a perfect Christian girl um, for me to marry. And yet the attraction just wasn't there. The chemistry just wasn't there. And so that means that that wasn't the right person for me. Uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Uh, Sex is for mutual enjoyment. It's a regular part of marriage. It's this beautiful gift that God has given us, not just to produce children, but for pleasure as well. A song of songs, or otherwise called the Song of Solomon, says in chapter 7, verse 10, I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. Uh, the Song of Songs is, portrays two lovers who, are pas- who have their passionate desire. They passionately desire each other, pursue each other, eventually marry each other, and then satisfy one another. I mean, think about it. Out of 66 books in the Bible, God included an entire book just on this subject. And so it must be important to God. Uh, Ann Landers had a letter that was written to her that goes like this. Last weekend, we celebrated my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. This morning, they left on a long-awaited trip to Hawaii. They were as excited as if they were on their honeymoon. You see, when my parents married, they had only enough money for a three-day trip 50 miles from home, and they made a pact then that each time they made love, they would put a dollar in a special metal box, and they would save it for a honeymoon in Hawaii for their 50th anniversary. Now, dad was a policeman, and mom was a school teacher. And raising five children was a challenge, and sometimes money was short. But no matter what emergency came up, 
dad would not let mom take any money out of the Hawaii account. My parents were always very much in love. I can remember dad coming home and telling mom, I have a dollar in my pocket. (laughs) And she would smile at him and reply, I know just how to spend it. And when each of us children married, mom and dad gave each of us a small metal box that they told us their secret, which we found inspiring. Mom and dad never told us how how much money they managed to save, but it must have been considerable because when they cashed in those CDs, they had enough for airfare to Hawaii, plus hotel accommodations for 10 days and plenty of spending money. And before they boarded the plane, dad winked at us and said, tonight, we're starting an account for Cancun. And so, um, <laughs> now, if you're not sexually attracted to someone, then you, I believe, shouldn't marry him or her, no matter how good of friends you are. Uh, God designed sexual love to be a part of marriage. Now, I'm not saying that there are certain times in marriage when, because of health or emotional reasons, uh, sex takes a back seat. But we need to work at it. And we need to keep working at it. It, It's a part of marriage. And you need to work at making time for it. Now, when we get to the 1111 service, they are going to look at us with stunned disbelief. (laughs) They're going to say, you have to make time for it. Are you kidding me, you know? And yet you that have been married for a while, you know what I'm talking about. And you need to not just let it fade away. You need to keep working at it and work to make time on it. Uh, If you're going to be married, there's got to be chemistry. That doesn't mean you have sex before you get married. But it does does mean that if you aren't physically attracted, uh, that's probably you should not get married uh, to that particular person. Now, that's balanced by number two. Am I overlooking character flaws because he or she is so good looking? And I'm telling you, Kimberly had to take this one because this was a real temptation (laughs) for her in, in our... You know how much that hurts my feelings to hear you laugh like that. Yeah, 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 that, that doesn't, I can't really take it away. Well, okay, so Glenn established the fact that attraction is, is essential. But as he said, we also have to be ca- uh, careful of the flip side, that the attraction overrides the uh, character uh, traits, that the character flaws that this person may have that we just don't take time to see. And so um, that's, that's an important part for us today because we know Scripture teaches that. It isn't something we invented. In fact, in 1 Samuel 6, 16, 7, uh, the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And if he does, then we should too. We do look at the outside, but we should be looking at the inside just like God instructed us to do. First um, Peter 3, 3 through 4 goes uh, on with this idea, further with this idea, and sometimes this is challenging in our modern culture, but uh, Peter taught that your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. They're, again, challenging, but so important that we get past the physical, especially, like I said, in this culture today. Make sure you're looking behind those beautiful eyes and that great physique. and the great hairline. The forehead. Forehead. What did it say? Braided hair. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's the woman it's talking to, not the guy. Yeah, you know, no. so. I could grow a ponytail in the back. That would be very cool and have it back there. That would be... Keep going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
You could. I know. You could. Okay, so we're looking now at the character qualities. These are questions. Seriously, these are questions that need to be asked in the dating relationship about character. The first one would be, is my date constantly demanding his or her own way? That's something to look for. How about, does he or she hold grudges? Boy, that's important because that, what if that character quality came into marriage? Think about that on a daily basis. Or uh, how about how does she or he handle disappointment when things don't go as planned? That's a pretty common part of marriage. So how do they handle it now? Uh, let's look at that. Um, is the, what happens when he or she doesn't get her own way? Is my date able to say, I'm sorry? I'm sorry. That's, there again, a daily occurrence that might happen in marriage. Can we say it now before marriage? Is my date able to hold a job? How does my date treat his or her parents? This is something that I looked for in our marriage, and I know that Glenn treated his folks great. He was loving to them, they were loving to him, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, how important that is. Uh, how does my date treat the waitress or the waiter? Such a simple thing. How does my date treat someone who serves at us at, a, at dinner? So important. Um, would I want my date to be the father or mother of my children? And something you probably don't think about when you're 21, but how does he treat, um, how would I want him to be the grandfather or grandmother of my children? I tell the story that I love so much. When our little Kylie was just a little toddler crawling along, and we were in a restaurant, and she got down and was crawling along the floor in a restaurant, and I turn and I look back, and a grown man that happens to be someone I'm married to was crawling on the floor on all four legs, hands and knees, chasing her in the restaurant. We're not allowed to go to that restaurant anymore. I don't know if that's true. (laughs) Has my date ever lied to me? If they lie to you now, what do you think that's going to change in marriage? Those are character qualities we have to look at now seriously despite the outward appearance. Third question, have we gotten too physical too fast? Great quote from Josh McDowell. It's up behind me. Sex before marriage prolongs a bad relationship and shortens a good relationship. Sex before marriage prolongs a bad relationship and shortens a good relationship. A man, gentleman came up to me after the 830 service and said, you know what happens when you have sex before marriage? You've basically told your, uh, that person that you're open to extramarital sex. That's what you've wow. told them, the signal. I was like, my goodness, wow, that, that's true. that really hit me between the eyes. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. If you can control it in that area before marriage, you'll control it after marriage in different areas like losing your temper or a hundred other things that are going to be important in marriage. If you can control it before in that area, it's a sign that they'll be able to control it later on once you're married. And there's so much room for trust that way. You know, that traveling or, you know, a sickness, yeah. you know, that when you can trust someone before marriage, it goes into trusting them control, within marriage. Then they'll control it later mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. You know, sex is so powerful. It just obliterates everything else within a relationship. It just overwhelms it. Great quote here. If love is blind, sex before marriage is the blindfold. If love is blind, then sex before marriage is the blindfold. You know, we just finished our Mythbuster series, but I got a couple more myths that we want to dispel. 
And one is, this is one that you've heard for years, or at least I've heard in pastor circles. Maybe you haven't heard it that much, but in pastor circles, you hear this. For years, we heard that 70% of unmarried Christians are sexually active. But recently, they did the survey, was done with tighter parameters, Okay, and so many of these statistics look beneath the surface. And you see, the first statistic comes from people that just simply say they're Christians. That's all. They say, oh, well, you know, I was born in America, which is predominantly Christian, so hey, yeah, I'm a Christian. Or my grandmother went to church once, so yeah, I'm a Christian. That's what the first pool included, and 70% of those people are sexually active outside of marriage. But the second survey with tighter parameters asked more questions. Like, do you go to church at least once a month? Now, that's a very low standard. But a person that goes to church even once a month, you know, shows some interest in worshiping God and finding out what his word says and putting it into action. So even something as little as, does, do you go to church once a month, the statistical pool completely changed. And from that group, the difference was amazing, showing that 75% of them are not sexually active. Now, why do I think it's so important that I share this with you? Because there's this myth out there that people say, well, everybody's having sex, so I'm missing out if I'm not doing it because everybody else is. Or here's a myth in our culture and society. There's just no way people can make it all the way to marriage without having sex. That is just impossible. Even within the Christian community, even Christian young adults just can't control themselves. Now, let me ask you a question. What kind of statement does that make about the power of God? Now, you're sitting there and you're saying, oh, Glenn, uh, Pastor Glenn, I've made some mistakes in this area. Well, here's the good news. There's forgiveness. You can start today to have God's blessing on your life, to save yourself for that special person. Uh, or even if you're not called to be married, to have God's sense of blessing, the wind at your back in this particular area by obeying God. You can start today. There's that poster. You see it everywhere. Um, that it says, the moment you stop smoking, it's an anti-smoking poster. It says, the moment you stop, the day you stop smoking, within 30 minutes, I think it says, <laughs> your lungs begin to heal. Have you guys seen the poster or something like that? Within, within the moment you stop smoking, within 30 minutes, your lungs begin to heal. Well, here's what I would say. Um, when you make a commitment to obey God in this area, within 30 minutes, your soul begins to heal. Hmm. Yeah, there's scarring. Yeah, there's damage. But you can make, even if you've made mistakes in this area in the past, from the moment you decide, you know what, I'm going to decide today to obey God in this area, within 30 minutes, your soul begins to heal in the same way your lungs do if you stop um, smoking. Uh, and so then we move to the next one. I think you turn to the back of your study outline. If you turn to the back to the other page, uh, you come to number four. And number four says, are we on the same page spiritually? Are we on the same page spiritually? Now, this one may be tough. This is something we may not want to hear about. But I know that personally this was something that's very um, near and dear to my heart, something that actually uh, was a part of my personal experience in college. I dated a fellow that I was very attracted to, and it's point one uh, and point two, but I had to admit that perhaps the, the physical attraction was overriding those character flaws that we talked about. And he was a pre-med student. So he, no, he was a med student. So she got a pastor instead pre-med. of a doctor. He was a med, okay, he was a med, yeah, med yeah, student. Exactly. So. <laughs> Not that it matters. Because he wasn't in seminary. Exactly. Right? He's pastor training. Way more money with a seminary degree than a medical degree. Money doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. 
He was very attractive. He was athletic. He was a lot of things that I thought I was looking for, but he was not a believer. And it was easy to overlook that. As a baby Christian, a new Christian in college, I thought, you know what? There's something different. I need to be different. There's something I'm being challenged by. And uh, I took a good look at him and thought, we don't line up. There's something that doesn't line up. And I was fasting and praying, which I had just learned about. And so I went to him and I challenged him. I said, you know, we're, we have a, a difference here. How can we repair this? Maybe you need to go speak to my pastor. And he did. And he called me on the phone, this fellow. And he said, you know, you're right. We aren't on the same page spiritually, but I don't want to change. He didn't want to join me in my Christian walk. And I had to do something that was very, very challenging at the time. And for many years after that, I really had to... I I had a loss, and the loss was I had to break up with this guy. And it was so difficult to have to walk away, but we were not on the same page spiritually. So the question goes on, as we have here, does he or she... And then what happened? You forgot the best part of the story. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I did. I did, because this is... Okay. Yeah. All right. Ready? So the weekend that I was supposed to drive up to Boston, we were at Boston University, and I was going to drive back up that summer and visit him. And, and you were probably hoping your pastor would lead him to Christ, is what you were probably hoping. Do you, is this your story or okay, mine? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was hoping that my pastor would lead him to Christ. <laughs> okay, keep moving, he said. Uh, so, yes, that weekend I should have gone to Boston, and I didn't. I stayed home as a new Christian. I found this church when they just had a brand-new pastor uh, preaching there, and uh, they had a church picnic that weekend, and I thought, I'll go and see what that's all about. And I saw this new pastor, and he was playing water balloon toss with the kids. And so I kind of jumped in on that and then married him. <laughs> I said... I said, hey, baby, you want to get baptized with these balloons? Keep going, keep going. I'm sorry. We're running out of time. Okay. Does he or she love God? He says he's going to be quiet now. That's what he just said. Um, Does he or she love God? John, the uh, the apostle, taught us this is how we know uh, that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. That's the first place, does he love God? But John went on to say in verse 3, this is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. God is saying, follow my commands. If you're dating someone who doesn't feel that they need to obey God's commands, then maybe you should be moving on. Because this person thinks that God's commands must be burdensome. And if they're burdensome before marriage, why will that change in marriage? And uh, does he or she have spiritual victory? John finishes here in verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, Um, even our faith. No one is perfect. We're not looking for perfection, but we're looking for someone who has a track record of victory. Someone who sees a relationship with God and, and, and commitment to his commands as more important than you. And that's where you want to be. You want to be second in line behind Jesus Christ and this person's values. And it takes us into point number five to take a look at. Are there any major addictions that he or she won't deal with? And by addictions, we're talking about drugs, alcohol, pornography, sexual sin, uh, gambling. And this is tough. Shopping, someone who spends money indiscriminately without value to the marriage. These are things we need to look out before we marry. These are things we need to be looking at because the not dealing with it is what's key here. Someone who doesn't see this as a problem, bringing that into marriage. Uh, They say addiction is like a mistress. 
and that it will spend your marriage competing with your spouse's affection. Now, ladies, I have to wonder if you were married and you came down the aisle and there stood your future husband with his mistress right next to him, his addiction that he's bringing into marriage and expects you to just handle that. He's just got an addiction that he's not willing to work on. uh, Gentlemen, same thing. If she's walking down the aisle towards you, about ready to commit your lives to one another, and she brings uh, her relationship, an extramarital relationship, down the aisle, you'd think this is crazy. Well, someone brings that addiction into marriage that they're not willing to deal with, you're crazy. Seriously, why would you do that? And when we have a program so wonderful at our church, Celebrate Recovery, you'll read about it there on page six. And if this is something you need to consider is overcoming an addiction, then get after it before marriage. And don't go into marriage with someone who's already got this in their back pocket and they're not looking at it closely. Let me reemphasize that. Page six, Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights. Great, great program. Number six, what do my parents and close friends think? Uh, I, I know for, for us, um, my dad was really helpful in this. My mom was such a sweetheart. She just loved any girl that I brought home. But my dad, from an early age, I can remember from like 13, 14, he was always like, hey, Glenn, does this person help you fulfill your purpose that God has called you to in your walk with him? Will, he, will this girl help you or hinder you in fulfilling the purpose? He used to have that phrase, remember that, a ball and chain? He always, I mean, since I was seven years old, he goes, don't you get yourself a ball and chain? I mean, oh, wow. Like a little kid, you wow. know, like ball and chain. That would be somebody that would hinder you from fulfilling your purpose in Christ is a ball and chain. And then I remember when I brought Kimberly home, he's like, that's what I'm talking about right there. No that's ball what I'm and talking. chain. No ball and chain. She's going to fire you up and get you going in the right direction. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now, we know that at a certain stage when you turn into young adulthood, you stop obeying and you switch that over to respecting, to obey the same command. You obey your parents, then when you become a young adult, you respect, you honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That's the promise. It's a commandment with a promise connected with it. Now, I'm not saying that parents are always right. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, I remember in our own marriage, you know, uh, when we were going to adopt, uh, your parents were va- very favorable towards it. But my parents, particularly my dad, thought it would be a ball and chain. And so he was the one designated but to he was call wrong. me up. He was, he was wrong. wrong. And, but we listened to him. And that's the next thing. You submit, the, the mere fact of submitting to listening to what they have to say will still bring the blessing. And so we listened, we submitted. We respected to what he, we his respected opinion. opinion. We didn't but do But then it. we prayed about it and we, <laughs> we went still in a adapted. different direction. Yes. Yeah. And so the reward of that full blessed life still rested on us because we at least considered what he had to say. I mean, think about it. Who knows you better than your parents and your close friends? Uh, who has your best interests in heart most of the time, more than your parents or your closest friend? They care about you. They know you. So at least spend the time to listen uh, to, what they, to what they have to say. I remember when you broke up with... Um, one, uh, fella. one One, one fella. fella. Yeah, yeah this is different than the other one. You know, so anyway, no, this was the star fullback on the Boston University football team. T-back. Yeah, so she went with the track guy, the track geek rather than the football player. And, uh, but remember, as soon as you broke up with him, all your friends come out of the woodwork and say, oh, we're so glad. And he you're wasn't like, right for you. I'm yeah, like, I was like, you? where were you before? Well, we didn't want to say anything. Friends... 
uh, don't you know, talk to friends. Friends don't let friends get married if they're worried about it without saying something about it. And so ask your parents and close friends, uh, what do they think? Number seven. Okay, number seven. Do I enjoy him or her even when we aren't at Disneyland? The happiest place on earth, right? Every time you go, you see happy families. Children never cry. Everybody's having a good time. The ride, the lines go fast. Mm. But if you're having a good time at Disneyland and you, come, you think this is a great relationship, look how much fun we have together. Well, we know the reality of marriage is not Disneyland. It's fun sometimes. And that's when we learn to enjoy one another within marriage. We learn that cleaning house or doing dishes together or uh, taking a walk together or eating out, or in our case, when we were preparing the, this talk, we were actually going through the, the, what we were going to say. We happened to be at the time on a, on a long road trip, uh, about eight hours. We were with our friends there in Arco, Idaho. We had such a great time. And then we drove to our, our satellite church in Montana at the hangar. It was about an eight-hour drive, and we had a blast. We really did have fun. Until Glenn got lost, and then it wasn't as much fun. <laughs> but Glenn, he can't help and it. And then we talked about the need for forgiveness, which we'll talk about tonight, is what we'll talk about tonight. <laughs> Listen, this was so important to God. Listen what God had to say in Deuteronomy 24, 5. If a man has recently married, he must not be sent away to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he's to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. So cool. He's, he's free to stay home and do dishes. <laughs> Seriously, to stay home and find out what makes them happy. How does your wife tick? How does your husband? Staying uh, within the relationship and finding out that it isn't always Disneyland, but boy, it's a great relationship. This is what God, it mattered so much to God that he gave a newly married couple a year together to have a good time. Sounds silly, but it's important because look at uh, Proverbs 5.18. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. See, the word rejoice is joy. Ecclesiastes 9.9a, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Now, as we come down the home stretch, the question, what are you thinking and you're thinking, why did I come to church today? This, is, <laughs> this has got some uncomfortable parts in it, okay. Well, I'll do the easy one, then she's going to do the hard one, then I'm going to do the really hard one. I think I'm dating the right person. I think I'm dating the right person. Well, great. If you go through that list of seven, then just keep going in that direction. And then, and, 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 you know, keep moving along in that. That's wonderful. Now, there are reasons to wait to get married. There, there are, are certain good reasons. But let me just tell you one reason, a bad reason for waiting. And that is you're waiting to save enough money for a big wedding. A lot of times couples today will even move in together and live together because they're saving for that gigantic marriage, uh, wedding ceremony, and to spend a lot of money on that. Uh, let me counter another myth. We just finished Mythbusters. I want to counter the wedding industry myth that the more you spend on your wedding, the longer your marriage will last. Do you know that research shows that that is absolutely untrue? Just came across a study I read just this past week, which shows there's a connection. The less you spend on your wedding, the longer your marriage will most likely last. Do you know that they found that the least likely group to get divorced, the group that was the least likely to get divorced, are those that spent under $1,000 on their wedding? Now, don't panic if you've already gotten married and spent 
more than $1,000, okay? I mean, as soon as I saw that as parents, you know, we had three weddings in 19 weeks, you know, especially with our girls, I was like, oh my goodness, we should have cut their budget in half. We've, you know, we've doomed them, you know. No, 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 but, but that's water to the bridge, but I'm just using it for the point. Don't, you know, hold off because, or move in together, uh, give in to the temptation uh, simply because you're saving all this money for some spectacular extravaganza. Uh, they found that couples that spend between $2,000 and $4,000 on their engagement ring are 1.3 times more likely to get divorced than those that spend between $500 and 1000 So aren't you glad I gave you that cheap little thing when we got... Yeah. <laughs> I want to know what it says about $100. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. I think it was more than 100 but it wasn't diamond. It wasn't. It was... Um, yeah, there's a lot, very interesting story as to where I found that ring. 31, uh, yeah, 31 exactly. years. 31, 31 yes, years. exactly, yeah, exactly. 31 years, doesn't matter. Now, here's an interesting thing that seems like you're saying the opposite, okay? They found that the more people you had at your wedding, the longer your marriage tended to last. Those that had over 200 people at their wedding were 57% less likely to get divorced than those who had between 1 and 10 people at their wedding, okay? Now, that's like, what's up with that? You know what that sounds like to me? An old-fashioned wedding. In the old days, okay, the good old days, you'd have a lot of people at your wedding because the whole church would come. I mean, a West End Presbyterian church in Hopewell, Virginia, everybody would come, but it was dirt cheap because after those 200-plus people were there, they'd all go down to the church basement, and you'd have a slice of cake in one hand and a cup of punch in the other, You'd get a napkin with a few peanuts on it. Do you guys remember this at all? Okay. And then you'd get those really... Butter mints. The those butter mints. mints. Remember the, the mints? Yellow and pink yes, and blue yes. and green. Those and your mother would so always good. say, don't those take so many. You know, and that's like, oh, I'm going to get to eat other than lousy cake. Pocket. Yeah, those little light pink and light that's yellow. It, and that's mints, it. Okay, yeah, those are, those I, are the mints. I want one. And you'd hang out and talk for a few minutes, and then you'd go home. And there'd be over 200 people there at a cost under uh, a thousand bucks. Now, you know what? Debate this over lunch later on, okay? Because I don't know what all these stats mean, but they're very interesting. Let me put in one extra that has nothing to do with those, but they just mentioned this in the article as well. The greater the Facebook usage, the greater the divorce rate. That's what this research also found. And they found that 20% of divorces were somehow linked to Facebook. 20% of divorces a day are somehow linked to, um, to Facebook. Okay, Kimberly. Okay, the next two. one, point number two is, I think I'm dating the wrong person. Wow. You showed up today, and this is a challenge. I think I'm dating the wrong person. Um, as you heard from my testimony earlier, I went through that. And what I suggest, and Glenn and I, and I would say our, our marriage groups here at church would suggest, two words, break up. Break up. Um, it, it comes from the whole idea of fear, generally speaking. When you end a relationship, are you really going to do that? That's scary. There's fear involved with that. What if you're single for life and this is your last chance for marriage? Break up. If it's the wrong person, don't come down that aisle. What if the, you, the fear can push you into getting sexually active before you're married? 
as Glenn explained earlier, what a bad way to start off your relationship when that's what you have with the wrong person. What about fear pushing us into just choosing someone who just isn't right for us? But we, we accept and we blind ourselves to the character flaws that are there that we don't want to see. It comes down to one thing. It boils down to trust in God. Can you trust him enough to walk away from the wrong person? Do you love God more spiritually? Do you have a better relationship with Jesus Christ than you would with this person that you've chosen over what you know the Lord is telling you to do? That's what happens when we're dating the wrong person. Now the hardest one of all, I think I married the wrong person. Now let me just share with you, if you're married, unless there's abuse or unless there's adultery, that is God's person for you. You did not marry the wrong person. But I've got some great news for you. You happen to go to a church that has one of the finest marriage ministries of any church I know in the nation. It is amazing, the marriage ministry that Kent and Mary Dyer and now Juan and Nina Amaral have built and have led here at our church. And you'll uh, see some um, uh, resources uh, there. You'll see, as I uh, talked about earlier, I should have talked about earlier, with Mary dating the right person, you've got the marriage preparation mentoring. You've got the marriage preparation class. And, you know, we would encourage you to, to go to that even before you get Pre, engaged. Pre-engagement counseling. Pre-engagement counseling. We actually gave money to each of our children, the three that just got married at least, we gave money to them to get counseling before they got engaged. And I would encourage you to go before you get engaged to the preparation mentoring, to the marriage preparation class that Pastor Brian teaches. But then for those that are married, the marriage assistance mentoring is wonderful. And it's not just for, it's not for a marriage, it's not just for a marriage on its last legs. It's to make a good marriage great or to make a good marriage uh, even better. And marriage enrichment classes, you can look on page seven where they meet. But we have marriage enrichment classes, some of the finest video teaching in America. I, these classes are amazing. They get the best speakers in America on marriage and then have a discussion time after you watch the video. They have one at 8.30, 9.45, and 11.11. All three hours, there is a marriage enrichment class just to make good marriages even better. And then for counseling. Do you know that our church... We will financially help you with the first time or two that you go to counseling. You let us know, and we'll, find, we'll help you find a counselor, and we will pay for the first one or two, or if it, depending on the expense of the counselor, three sessions, just to see if it's worth your while. We'll pay for it as a church. That's how much uh, that we um, believe in this. And tonight at 5 o'clock, Kimberly and I will continue at Claremont uh, location We'll continue with how to not just start strong in marriage, but to finish strong and to continue choosing us even in the midst of the challenges of life. Uh, if you feel led to be baptized, come tonight with a change of clothes. If you feel led to eat a free turkey Thanksgiving dinner, come tonight <laughs> and we'll do that at 6 o'clock. Uh, prayer. Need prayer for anything? The prayer room is open. Our prayer partners are there, and our prayer team would love to pray with you, whatever need that might be. Pick up a copy of Hard Drive out in the lobby. This, this book um, is like a page-turner. I love John Grisham novels, and it reads just like a John Grisham novel. You just can't stop turning the pages, and it's just an excellent story, but it's, it's true, which is, uh, which is part of the dynamism of it as well. Really encourage you to get a hold of this. It also is inspiring as to how our campus pastor 
and her husband, Rick and Mary Todd. Uh, you know Todd's from Todd's Funeral Home. Well, that's the Todd family. Five generations of Pomonans now starting a church up in Marion, Montana. And this tragedy struck. And just a phenomenal book. Really encourage you to get a hold of this. And uh, they'll sign that copy for you out in the lobby if you'd like to get a hold of one. And as they said, if you can't afford it, they'll still give you one because they really want this to be uh, in your hands. Let's stand up for the benediction. I'm closing with Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's family said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.